0: Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump, taking an honest look at the current administration. And we expose the existential threats to America. Now some Democrats think that President Trump himself is a threat to America. Joining me today, Byron York. He's a columnist at the Washington Examiner and a Fox News contributor. And joining me today is Wilfred McClay. First time on this podcast. He's got a new book, a history book, Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story. But first, a few things on my mind. Uh, as as we are talking, Claude, uh, the president is launching his reelection campaign. Uh, formally, they've been at it a while, but I, I don't know if you heard this. But I heard. I have not heard it confirmed. I don't. I don't want it to be one of these Sean Spicer things. You remember he said it was the largest crowd ever on the mall. Right, yeah. Know, and the term, <laughs> it photos didn't suggest wasn't quite, that, Yeah. Know. But uh, they are saying, and several reports of it, that uh, for his presentation to some, I don't know, 20,000 people in Orlando tonight, they have been lined up for two days. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard that. You might check this out while, okay. I'm, uh, while I'm talking to, uh, to Wil- Wilfred McClay uh, or Byron. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, no matter what you think comprised the campaign team last time, it was thin. I just heard someone say that the Trump campaign team was basically Hope Hicks and Corey Lewandowski. And now it's this machine. And uh, we'll see. But, uh, of course, you know, people now know Donald Trump and that in terms of politics has gone to his advantage and some to his disadvantage. But he's a known quantity. So we shall see what we shall see. But um, we'll confirm this uh, when, we, when we have more time. Maybe we can do this uh Maybe you and I can do this, or just you can do it uh, before we put put this podcast to sure, bed. Absolutely, as to what those crowds are. So I just ask you to make that uh, little homework assignment and up to update this sure. uh, this question before we uh, send it out to the folks. Uh, I was in New York City, Claude. I uh, did a did a wise guy show. We talked about a whole lot of things, and one of the things I want to ask Byron York about. I asked Andy McCarthy, who's you know kind of the chronicler of you know all things judicial FBI counterintelligence. Is it likely possible, plausible to think that Barack Obama uh, knew about these things that were going on at the FBI, the Strzok and Page and the McCabe and, you know, the other things that uh, this information from uh, Christopher Steele, the the Steele memos and so on, uh, that were used to to file these uh, FISA warrants. That this spying, as Bill Barr puts it, was going on. um, Spying on the Trump campaign was going on. Andy McCarthy said he thought he had little doubt. Oh, okay. That because uh, of executive meetings, meetings in the Oval Office, uh, right before the uh, meeting that the uh, FBI held, uh, an intelligence committee held with uh, uh, President Trump, uh, President elect Trump, uh, that this had to be discussed. But it wasn't disclosed. To uh, President Trump. Wasn't disclosed to candidate Trump. And, um, you know, that's, that's really bad if that's the situation. So we'll, we'll explore that further. I'm going to ask Byron that because Byron's got a lot here that we're going to talk about in his columns, uh, comparing, uh, the current situation, Russiagate to Watergate, differences, similarities, and so on. But um, I found that a, a very interesting point. You know, just how, how, how high up did it go? It went very high. It would be bad enough if it stopped at the FBI and the CIA. But if it went even higher, it's even worse. So we'll, we'll talk about that. And people can watch Wise Guys on the Fox Nation app, correct? Yes. Now, let me just give a date. That uh, that uh, discussion we had that I just referenced will not appear until the 27th of, uh, of June. But uh, f- folks can watch that on Fox Nation. Indeed, they can. Uh, the uh, Iran situation uh, continues to heat up. Um, I think we're responding just right on this. Um, I don't know what Iran wants. Uh, I think we're picking up allies on this too, I think. Nancy Pelosi said we have to be strong, smart, and strategic. I think we are being strong, smart, and strategic. But we're not going to be pushed around. But, but but here's here's the point I want to make, the difference elections make. The difference between the attitude toward iran of the obama administration and the attitude of this administration it's it's night and day the obama administration you know made the iran deal a uh, billion and a half in cash on a pallet you know it was sent to them and back bags of money cash actual cash uh, and then these other agreements which i don't think were worth the paper they were written on or the electronic digitals they were they were conveyed in um Let's work with the Iranians. We kind of like them. We want to keep them from, you know, getting uh, nuclear weapons. Um, that was the attitude. And uh, the attitude now is we don't trust you. Uh, for 40 years, you've been killing Americans. Um, you can make a pretty good case without Iran. There wouldn't be an al-Qaeda. Uh, they have probably had more of their men kill more Americans than al-Qaeda or uh, Taliban or, or any other group. Um a focus of, of terrorism, as, uh, as, uh, as George, uh, George W. Bush said. And it goes back even further than that. So I think we need to be very strong with them. And uh, we're being very strong with them. And we'll see where the situation uh, goes. I asked a panel on Wise Guys, do you guys think that they are rational enough to back off, that is, rational enough to avoid incineration mm-hmm. by the United States? And um, the same question I asked about Kim Jong-un north korea right and most of them thought yes they don't want to they don't want to be burned alive and we don't really want to bomb the heck out of iran and we like the iranian people and the iranian people are getting more and more restive right so it's um you know let's hope that let's hope that could be avoided but uh they they gotta understand they're dealing with a different person now entirely different and let me just say a word on that um because this is true in all these international situations they're not only dealing with donald trump they're dealing with mike pompeo now, I will confess, and I think the audience knows, I'm pretty close to Mike Pompeo. Mm-hmm. had dinner with him, had lunch with him, had a meeting, meeting or two with him. I like him very much. I think he's very strong. And, um, you know, he's, he's a guy to be reckoned with. Uh, I think, in fact, of, of uh, Bill Barr and Mike Pompeo as the kind of Praetorian guard for, uh, for the president. Two very strong guys. Okay, there's that situation. Another situation, obviously, is, um, is Hong Kong. And I think what's going on there uh, is uh, very interesting. I, it is the equivalent, when they say million people in the streets, it is the equivalent of, of seventy million Americans taking to the streets. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's no, right, proportional. Right, yeah. It is just a remarkable outpouring of uh, of protest uh, against this idea that uh, you know China can pluck people out of hong kong and bring them back to china for trial people are not standing for it. it looks at this point as if the government of hong kong is back backing down now it's this oddest situation of governance in the world it's part of china but they let it operate freely and as it operates freely it's one of the freest economies in the world mm-hmm. right uh, and yet the person in charge is picked by the prc the the, the chinese communists Uh, So we'll see where this comes out. But it looks like they've at least persuaded um, a pause in uh, passing this law. And that's a a very, very good thing. Of course, in the background is China, the huge power of China, which we've talked about many times in this show. And we will continue to. I will be incessant on this uh, on this topic because um, it's uh, it's critical that we understand that China is, unlike what Joe Biden said, a real competitor to us. It uh, Russia's small time, small potatoes compared to compared to China. And as China and uh, President Xi visits North Korea first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, uh, the friendship with Putin now has been renewed. We need to be very mindful. Right. So what is they're doing? Fourth place I want to talk about internationally is uh, Mexico. Mexico on its northern border uh, with us and its uh, southern border with Central American countries. It looks at this point at the point we're having this conversation that some progress is being made on this on these fronts, and that um And that uh, Mexico is going to deter people at the southern border and uh, try to keep people from crossing the northern border. Uh, And, uh, you know, if they want asylum, they get asylum when they come into Mexico. That's the first country they get into, uh, these Central American, quote, refugees, close quote. But um, that doesn't mean that they pass them through to come into America. So we'll see how that works out. But it looks now as if at least something's happened. Now, the president says I have did more in two days than the Democrats done in 20 years. That may turn out to be true. President is often given to you know right <laughs> hyperbole overstatement, some exaggeration, I say with some irony no he 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 he, uh, he talks big league but um but he acts big league often enough too, so we shall see about that situation but it is shameless what the Democrats are doing here's something I'd like our audience's opinion on. I, I I'm still still very fresh in my mind, this uh, discussion we had yesterday on uh, on Wise Guys, which will air the 27th on Fox Nation. As we went around the panel, Claude, I said, what's really going on here? I mean, the Democrats don't want to give Donald Trump a victory. But then one person, another person, another person, and it was unanimous basically, said they want all these folks to come in because uh, when they come in and uh, gradually become citizens or fake their citizenship, uh, they're going to vote. Mm-hmm. And they're going to vote Democrat. They're going to vote blue. And um, this is a cynical way to um, change the balance of power and the political power in the United States. Right. And uh, as we talk about things like the demography, the political demography in the state of Texas, when has to think about, you know, what states these uh, these illegals are coming into. Mm-hmm. Now, what Ted Cruz beats uh, Beto O'Rourke, Francis O'R- Robert Francis O'Rourke, is Carl Rove would, would uh, correct me, 54-46, pretty close. You got a whole lot more people coming in from Central America, South America, Mexico. You might tip that balance. You tip the balance, and Texas goes Democrat. You're yeah, going to see. Out, yeah. yeah, you're going to see a long line of Democrat presidents, Democrat senators, and uh, the co- the country changes. I you know I wish that were true. I wish in some ways, although it's a horrible thing, they're just digging in their heels to want to give Trump a victory. But there's a political calculation here too. The more of this flow that comes in, the better I think they think it is for our, their political purposes. Anyway, four uh, international places uh, we could talk about more, but uh, those four are uh, what's on my mind this morning. You're listening to The Bill Bill Bennett Show. All right, it's time to welcome Byron York to the show. He's a columnist at the Washington Examiner, and he's a Fox News contributor. Byron had a discussion in New York yesterday on a Wise Guys panel, and you've been on the Wise Guys panels on Fox Nation. And very much, I very much appreciate it when you do. We want to get you on often. And, and I asked the panel during this whole period with, uh, you know, uh, Christopher Steele and uh, Strzok and Page and, uh, you know, McCabe and Comey and all this stuff going on in this investigation of Trump and the Trump campaign. Did it um, – does it seem likely to you that uh, the the president, Barack Obama, knew about this? And uh, the the answer around the table was pretty unanimous. Yes, he probably did. Do you agree? You know,
1: I just don't know. I mean, we've had had hints. We had hints in the Peter Strzok, Lisa Page texts uh, that POTUS – The White House were very interested in what was going on in the investigation, so we certainly had hints about that. Uh, We have had reports that um, some of the intelligence people briefed the president, that is President Obama, uh, about some of the findings in uh, the Steele dossier. And if you read uh, Michael Isikoff and David Korn's book, Russian Roulette, uh, they talk about a briefing in which Susan Rice, who uh, at the time was a national security advisor, urged... Uh, James Clapper, who was the head of national intelligence, to tell Obama about the, um, well, the p tape story, Um, the the story of Trump and uh, the prostitutes uh, and the golden showers routine in the Moscow hotel room. Right. So, um, and... According to Korn and Isikoff, they tell Obama the story, and Obama says, why am I hearing this? <laughs> yeah, But, um, but you know, so what does he know? I don't know. Um, but I don't really – it's not a political part of the story. I, the, the most important thing is that we learn what the intelligence agencies did at the time. That's super important, and hopefully we're going to find out with the Attorney General's investigation.
0: Let's go back, if you have time, to one of your other essays. Changing standards in the media and in the law. Please, do you recall this column? I hope you do. I do. I've got it underlined. I do. All right.
1: I do, absolutely. And, you know, I, th- I think that is it is um, interesting, uh, and more than interesting, it's very concerning, Something that we've seen in the uh, Trump-Russia investigation is the weakening of what had been traditional standards of argument and standards of proof in the debate over whether um, collusion occurred, whether the Trump campaign in Russia conspired to fix the 2016 uh, election. Um, And there there are a couple of ways. I gave a couple of examples in this story. Uh, The first was the Steele dossier. Uh, which we were just discussing. It was wild, unfounded uh, accusations, and there was never any evidence, never any evidence, that the FBI had confirmed the major allegations in the dossier. And yet, a lot of people in the media, and not just in the media, also people like uh, Dianne Feinstein and Lawrence Tribe, really big, respected people in government and academics, decided that they would throw out the standard of proof, that is, has any of this been confirmed, and simply argued that nothing in the dossier had been proven untrue. It had not been disproved. So I, I just think that um, that, is, that is a very, very concerning thing. And the second example I gave uh, came from uh, Robert Mueller's public uh, remarks on his report and it was also, he was simply repeating what had all, what had already been in his report. And it was uh, about the obstruction of justice, volume two of his report. In volume one, he came out and said the evidence did not establish that there was a conspiracy or coordination between the, the Russia and the Trump campaign. Just That's pretty clear. But in the obstruction of justice part, he clearly makes a case that Trump did obstruct justice, but he doesn't come out and say it, but he just makes the makes the, the case. And so what he said in his, uh, in his press conference was, quote, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state, based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not Exonerate him. In the, in the press conference, he said, If we had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether he committed a crime. So, this idea of, of justice, which is you're accused of a crime, um, and if you're found not guilty, you're not guilty. You're assumed to be innocent until there's a verdict. And you're not guilty. In this case, they pronounced the president not exonerated. You know, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, how do you find the defendant? We find the defendant not exonerated. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a great, that's great. That's
1: a very troubling a great, thing. So great pair of sentences. Yeah, you combine the dossier, uh, the not proven untrue thing, with the not exonerated verdict uh, in the Mueller report. And I think that that is really a a very, very troubling disintegration
0: of standards let me ask you if it is if it is that because you, you start in, uh, or somewhere at least in that essay you say you know Donald Trump's accused of sullying or destroying you know time honored traditions and notions well what about yeah. you know the assumption presumption of innocence and what about you got to have backup to, to write a story uh, not that uh, the story hasn't been disproved but isn't this isn't this temporary isn't this just for Trump isn't this just for Trump
1: yeah, yeah, it could be. Could be. Uh, I right. certainly think I think, you know, we've, we've seen a number of cases of Trump's exercises of uh, certainly unilateral presidential power that have been frustrated in the courts. I've seen I think we've seen kind of Trump only jurisprudence uh, and judges yeah. who would never yeah. make the decision, not just with Obama, but maybe with any other president. So we have seen Trump only jurisprudence, and we have seen, you know, oh. among psychiatrists, for example, you know, there's a professional standard that they um, that they not diagnose uh, patients they have not they've yeah. not examined, right? Um, and uh, they just threw that out the window with uh, with Trump. That yeah. that was, by the way, that was called the Goldwater Rule. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was really taken up by the. Psychiatric profession after 1964 when a number of them uh, declared Barry Goldwater yeah. to be nuts. Yeah. Um, and so that standard uh, stayed in effect until Trump. So we have seen this kind of a selective violation of norms. Uh, for Trump and what you're saying is well do you think it'll snap back in place after him well it, it might but it's certainly been it'll be damaged because of what's been done
0: yeah I'm not even sure of my own notion here that it's temporary because I was thinking while you were talking there's some other assaults on this notion um, some of it from some of the me too stuff it seems to me you know the woman must always be believed you know um, the guy has not proved that he didn't do this you know
1: you know, I think that can you know that example. I mean, we've seen a lot of that. Uh, we've seen just a, a, a lot of college campuses seem to have thrown due process out the window.
0: Yeah, right. On that, right. but
1: it certainly predated Trump.
0: No, that's right. That's right.
1: I, and you know, and so that was going on. I know, I know, conservatives were were complaining about the the loss of standards uh, and. and Anything resembling due process on campus? I think That's they've been right. playing about that for quite a long
0: time. No, we 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 have been. I know, I know, I have I, I have been. But um, you know, through I, again, I, I'm sorry, my my hobby horse, the loss of history, all through the Kavanaugh thing and through a lot of this Me Too stuff. The women must be believed. The women must be believed. Does anybody not remember the Scottsboro boys? You know, the the woman was believed, well, was- and these black men were not believed, and they were innocent, but the they were to be believed. Um, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yes, I mean that's from the
0: 1930s. Yeah, so. sure, 20s, 30s. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I, I think. And so, uh, obviously, different era, different time, uh, and things have kind of flipped back and forth since. Then. But it, but
0: it showed what but, that the danger of that doctrine. You know, I mean, because of the South at that time, you would believe a white woman, you wouldn't believe a black man. But what a you know, that's no, that's a horrible standard, and so is this.
1: Well. Well, it is in cases in which you know universities simply do not give any due process
0: yeah, to an accused right,
1: right. Uh, person. Usually, a, a male in a case of you know some sort of allegation of misconduct um, uh, lodged against him by by a female student. But um, getting back to to the yeah, Trump sorry. thing, I mean, yeah, this, sorry. Yeah. This, this is this is a particularly I mean, this is a unique situation in the sense it involves only one person, yeah, which no, is the president no. of the United States. Right. And maybe only this president out of 44 right. different people has right. the job.
0: Good, well said. Only this one. Well said. If we need wow. to bend the earth in its axis a little bit for this guy, we'll do it, Right.
1: We get for this guy
0: yeah no matter what it takes I, I we don't want to keep you too long and abuse this uh gift you give us but i got two more questions for you just briefly referring to your third essay will they go for impeachment or not oh man i don't know um, yes the answer is you know, yes they, they really
1: will back, <laughs> i kind of go back and forth on that i think we have seen some growth in the support of impeachment in the Democratic base. Republicans are against it. They were against it months ago, and they're still against it now. Um, I think... Some of the people in the Democratic base who had been saying, well, let's have more investigation before we hold hearings. Some of them are now saying, "Okay, we've got enough. Let's hold hearings. Uh, And, you know, the more and more Democratic voters who support impeachment, the more pressure there is going to be on Democratic representatives. I mean, to impeach, because that's just the way our political system works. On the other hand, and you do see on the other hand, you see Pelosi really apparently kind of dug in uh, against impeachment. And I do wonder if by allowing her committee chairs, these these are the oversight chairs, Nadler and Schiff and Cummings, you know, to kind of go forward on this, uh, she's going to create a situation in which impeachment just becomes inevitable. And she'll have to say, well, you know, now the circumstances have changed. My mind, and we we simply must go forward. We, we're very reluctant. We don't want to do such a thing, but but uh, oh, our, our responsibility <laughs> to the Constitution
0: demands uh, that we do it. Well, she's and kind of leapfrogged. She's kind of leapfrogged it in a way, saying, "Well, we may not go to impeachment. I don't recommend it, but he should be in prison." That's the red queen, well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, basically, she did the she did the imprison the prison thing to kind of hold off the. Um, the impeachers, right? By saying, and she was also kind of showing her own bona fides that uh, I'm really tough. I'm tough on him. I want to see the guy in
0: jail. Yeah, but if you break it up, it's you know, it's I don't think he should be accused. I think he should be convicted, you know, and be in prison. Right.
1: And the yeah. impeachment is this would be so wild because uh, we've lived through an impeachment in memory, and the the primary defense that a president has against impeachment is he accuses. His impeachers of being partisan, of working yeah. on partisan motives.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, but the, the the last two examples we've had, Nixon resigned ahead of impeachment, but he did so after having been reelected. So he resigns in 1974 after winning in a landslide in 1972. And um, Clinton uh, is impeached in 1998 after having won re-election in 1996 um the idea of impeaching someone in the middle of the re-election campaign is really it's just i don't know it's on steroids it's amazing i don't I, I don't know how it would work and i think democrats are a little worried about it because if you remember the clinton impeachment and this was before uh social media and before the internet had grown to the level it is today uh it consumed everything impeachment yeah. ate Everything, yeah yeah, and it will do it it'll do it again, yeah, and all of the Democrats who are trying to run for president will have a hard time, and they'll be all they'll be asked about is impeachment, and uh, everything will become about impeachment and and that's what Nancy Pelosi is worried about because she thinks, well, we won because of health care, we won because you know telling people that their standard of living has gone down, and Trump doesn't care about them, and and, and now we're going to run. In an environment when it's all about impeachment, so you'd have to think that. And it, it, it's already June of 2019. The campaign—we're a few days away from the first Democratic debate. Uh, the president is declaring his—you know—formally declaring his candidacy. Uh, this campaign is underway. Yeah. So doing an impeachment in the middle of it would be wild
0: yeah and 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 back to what you said to to begin that paragraph you said you know the 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 accused main defense here is that it's political and more you do this in a middle of a campaign Uh, how can anyone resist the notion that it's not political right Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of beginning the campaign, I had said earlier and I just I should have should have waited until I talked to you. I have heard I don't know, you know, all these different news sources, fake news, what that there are apparently 20,000 people gathering tonight in Orlando, but that there are maybe 80,000 or 100,000 trying to get in and that people have been camped out for two days trying to get in to see Donald Trump. Now, I don't want to do a Sean Spicer here. Byron, you know, and, and say that this is the largest crowd ever. But are they, do you know if these, any of these these reports are true?
1: Well, I mean, I've seen video of people waiting. There have been people waiting out there, maybe a couple of hundred. Uh, and I don't know why they would do that, but, you know, they do. It's kind of an event. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think... Um, First of all, I'm not in Orlando right now, right. so I think the I think the venue holds 20 or 22,000, and I imagine he'll fill it up because because he's always drawn really huge crowds, and they're gonna they're making a special effort uh, this time, and he's gonna get a
0: big crowd, and they're gonna be enthusiastic. So um, and, and everybody says uh, by the I Biden, don't think any exaggeration is going to be required. Okay, I, I, and people are saying that Biden is not drawing big crowds or big enthusiastic crowds. I've always thought the no,
1: and you know, Biden is not campaigning
0: with the enthusiasm that some of his Democratic
1: competitors are, and certainly not with the enthusiasm that President Trump will be doing.
0: Who's getting the enthusiastic uh, the enthusiasm? I always think enthusiasm is very important. Well,
1: I think it's it's. First of all, all of them have their fans, but uh Elizabeth Warren does seem to have been the sort of beneficiary of the of the second big sort of unexpected event- uh uh trend which is you know the first is the rise of Buttigieg, judge and then the second is uh her managing to pull out of uh you know some of the embarrassments she had had with the right, whole, right. uh Native oh. American stuff. Oh. And her kind of kind of ridiculed campaign uh, announcement, where she you know says, ah, "I think I'm going to get myself a beer." Um,
0: yeah, she's done
1: it with with substance. She's done yeah. it with programs and, and proposals that would just uh, make any conservative just you know nuts, but uh, are pretty popular on the Democratic uh, trail. And uh, so she's doing it with substance, and that, that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good uh, strategy because. Some of the others, like Biden and like uh, Buttigieg, you know, and like uh, Beto O'Rourke, have become very, very light on wow. the substance. So yeah. she, has, she has contrasted
0: herself. Two more real quick. I promise I'll let you go, but I can't resist. I thought
1: we, I thought we had two. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I know. No, quick, real quick. Buttigieg is, uh, apparently had a great month, $7 million or something. He's really jumped.
1: Yeah, $7 million, and I think it was in April, which is more than he got or as much as he got in the first
0: quarter. Mm-hmm.
1: So he's going he's going to have a big number for April, May and June.
0: First tier, he's a first so, tier candidate there. So
1: you know.
0: Sure, but he's a first tier candidate judge, right? Uh
1: yeah, I think that uh you know I sh- th- I should be able to just say this really quickly, but uh, now we're looking at uh, Biden, Sanders, Warren, judge, and Harris as your top
0: five.
1: <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that there's I think there's 8 of them who have more who have 2% or more. And there's like 14 of them <laughs> yeah. who are 1%, 1% or less.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so you, you got to think that's going to thin out a while. I mean, this crazy situation they're going to have in Miami where they have two debates on two different nights and, um, with 10 people
0: each and, you know, I don't know. We'll see. And, and finally, finally, finally Bernie fading, Bernie fading. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he actually
1: is, um, what I think is going to be interesting is at some point, uh, when if you if let's let's sort of go along with the hype and call Biden a quote centrist candidate, um, the centrists versus the progressives. You know, when you start adding up the progressives, you know they're they're bigger than the centrist guy who's
0: leading. I mean, right. Sanders on the right. progressive wing, right. Warren is in there, Judge right. is in there, Harris is in there. That's what I'm counting. I'm adding all them up and comparing it to Biden.
1: Yeah, so take Biden, and you can throw Amy Klobuchar's 1% in with Biden. And, you know, but the, you add all the, the progressives up, and they're a pretty big group. So um, I don't know how this is going to work out. I also think, I think you know, Trump just kind of said this. You know, would be 78 years old on Inauguration Day in 2021, Trump, who just now turned 73, does not appear, you know, in public at least, to have lost a step. No. Um, no. So... That'll probably be a you know, probably get these two guys in their
0: 70s yelling at each other about who's in better shape. Know, well, but Trump, I mean, I, I am biased. I, I prefer Trump to Biden, but Biden seems old to me and Trump seems younger, moves younger. They set yeah, a Eisenhower. A of Eisenhower. an lot people
1: who've known, a lot of people, you know, like you, who've been in Washington for a long time, have known Joe Biden for a long time say he really looks a lot lower than
0: that people said uh, who said the other day he's not as good as he was in his prime which wasn't very good <laughs> i don't mean to be mean we'll stop we'll end there unless i get meaner good thank thank you so much byron you're listening to the bill bennett show Joining us now, Wilfred McClay, author of the new book, Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story. Dr. McClay, thank you for your time. So, Land of Hope, uh, An Invitation to the Great American Story. Why did you write this book, Wilfred McClay?
2: Well, because there really isn't anything like it. The the um, the textbooks that exist out there are mostly uh Produced for the for the edification of instruction committees and textbook committees and interest groups and stakeholders of various sorts and they're not written to tell a story they're not written to inspire young people with the sense that they have a past that is uh, that is worthy of their knowing about and appropriating and uh, taking on as their own.
0: Uh, did you review yeah, all the books? That- I
2: reviewed a lot of them, yes, and I, I was I was uh, uh, constantly unimpressed, with one notable exception. Uh, there was a, a, a very fine textbook uh, uh, that had hope in the title, also by uh, <laughs> uh, uh, by you, but uh, I wanted to do something more compact than yours, right, right. Uh, But but with a lot of the same. Uh, narrative emphasis, a lot of the same emphasis on political history as the sort of well, backbone of American history. You're,
0: you're, and you're, you're kind. The, Let's talk about your yeah. book. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. Because it well, is it is compact, and I, I haven't read it. I've read in it uh, here and there, and just spot check. But uh, just, just so you know, um, I am compressing my three volumes into one, and it'll be out in October, but you beat me by you know a good few months. But it's still long. It's still about 900 pages. So um, you've you've done a you've done a masterful job in doing this. Tell us what the problem is in the schools. What what are the books that are most widely used uh, in the schools? Did you did you do any assessment of that? What what, what is used? Well, most I'm not, often?
2: In a, not in not in in a scientific way, but you don't really need to. I mean, the, uh, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, uh, um, Lies My Teacher Taught Me uh, by what is the guy's name? James Lowen, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, these are mainstays, and they're uh, and and part of the problem is that let me just take Zinn. Uh, Zinn's book has sold a bazillion copies, and it's wi- widely used partly because it's actually a readable account. It's a comic book version of American history. Right. It's a reduction yeah. of the great issues of our history to sort of black hats versus white hats, uh, morality tales, and and related in a a very uh, flattening way, but um, it at least is exciting and interesting reading. It can grab the attention of young readers and and readers of all ages, uh, even if what it's purveying is a gross distortion of our history and uh, and, uh, and an unsympathetic, ungenerous, view of one of the great stories of human history so uh I, I think it's 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 terrible that things have come to that you know if Zinn was just one of a number of things out there yeah. that would be fine but it's dominant and uh this is not really a, a an explicitly anti-zin book i don't kind of go through and say howard zinn says this but i say this um what it is, it's a, it's a different approach to thinking about the past. That the past is a yeah. for Americans who read this book, you know, the, the the point is to to learn about and appropriate the past that is already a part of you. This is already yeah. your story, whether you know it or not. And uh, the thing to do is to become conscious of it and uh, to sort of situate yourself in it to know where you've been. Um, to to know not only where you're going but also uh, those to whom you owe enormous debts in the past.
0: I like that um, phrase. It's already in you. I remember, Leszek Kolakowski in the Jefferson Lecture said about about the study of history generally. He said, yes. you, you remain alien to yourself in a in a country in which your past is denied." Yes. And, and to many yes. of no, our young that's people. That's
2: right. That's right. And then you do you do people no service. By doing that, you don't. You don't. We don't do young people any service by teaching them a comic verse, book version of American history that alienates them from it, from it, and and fails to show them, for example, why the various protections in the Constitution are needed. And and, and the, frankly, this is one of the things about history as opposed to political theory. Uh, a discipline for which I have a great respect, but you know to to teach these things to teach uh, the the structure of the constitution uh, as a matter of a, a sort of theoretical co- construction is one thing, but to show how it emerges out of the historical process out of a response. To tyranny, to the threat of tyranny, to uh, the various weaknesses to who, to which men are prone in in power, to actually see that, um, in in and see it explained in a narrative way, is so much more powerful than just the presentation of abstractions. So, um, yeah, yeah. Is uh, it... uh, and, and I've tried to make make things as vivid as I can, knowing that uh, you know that, that you've got you've got a, a fairly tough haul with. Some some uh, people, young people these days, who don't really aren't really accustomed to reading.
0: Do you think Um, that I make
2: uh, no I I make no concessions though. To there are no sidebars, there are no jazzy graphics. There's no this is all prose. Right. (laughs) There are a few maps. You know, there are a few uh, uh, pictures. But basically, it's prose. You'll be and,
0: okay. Um, You'll be okay on that. You'll be okay on <laughs> I that. I hope you're right. I did another I book called right. The Book of Virtues, which was turned down by ten publishers. One of them said, "No, no sex, no pictures, no, you know, no intrigue." Um, who will buy it? Well, turned out it did all right. Well, the, the reception it did pretty well. The reception yeah, I, of this book of your book is very, very positive. I must say, uh, the so book. Let me say the yeah. name of the book: uh, Land of Hope, an invitation. Land of
2: Hope, an invitation to the great American story. and uh, it's published by encounter books you could get it at amazon barnes and noble it's in every barnes and noble store in the country at the moment
0: let's let's talk let's uh, talk about those young people again uh i referenced your book i referenced mine with it but i you know when people asked me what what do we get this socialism capitalism what's why are so many people down on america i said you, some people say the news, some people say you know uh, drugs, some people say this that I say they don 't know anything about our story they don 't know don't. anything about our they story don't. and 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 what and for many of them, what they do know is negative
2: yeah yeah um, no I'm I absolutely right and it's been, unfortunately it 's been that way for quite a while. I think we 're just now beginning to see. The fruits of it. There, there are so to speak, no adults in the room anymore. Yeah. Um, at back in the '60s, uh, you know, a lot of these same ideas were circulating around, but there were still adults in the room. There was, there was a sense that uh, there was pushback from. On high, uh, no longer so. Uh, I, it, you know, especially I think in you know the past presidential administration, you really did have a sense that uh, uh, these kinds of ideas were in the saddle in a way that they were not in the '60s.
0: Is is it uh, your intention, uh, Bill McClay, Wilfred McClay, that this book be used in the standard? Uh, 11th grade uh, U.S. history course I, still exists. I would exists. love it
2: if that happened. I, I actually, to tell you the truth, Bill, I, I, my, my sort of ideal reader for this, as I at least as I started it, was exactly that person, someone preparing to the, take the advanced placement exam in U.S. history. And uh, there really aren't, I, I know a lot of AP teachers, Right, right as we're talking, I'm on break from a, uh, conference of teachers that i do every year every summer here at university of oklahoma and they many of them teach ap u.s history and they say you know with this this book i just handed the book out to them and they're, they're ecstatic because they think this is a book we've needed to prepare students to take the to, but but partly because it gives them the overarching narrative it's not a collection of factoids it's it's not a a sort of Christmas tree with a bunch of uh, unruly ornaments uh, here and there on it. it. It it has a coherence to it, and uh, I think and I follow the theme of hope through the book. Uh, there's a number of of recurring themes uh, like that, and I just follow it through the book. That we're always we're a people defined in part by the fact that we are not content. To rest on the laurels of you know the conditions of our birth, or or to be enslaved uh, by the conditions of our birth—that we're always striving, we're always moving, we're always aspiring—and hope can sometimes mean disappointment. Uh, I'm very clear about that. That hope doesn't mean that everything is a is like a Hollywood movie of the 1940s uh, uh, with, with a happy ending. That that hope uh, is risky. It, we hope can mean, uh, you know, utter failure, desolation. Uh, Could we but-
0: – a quick quick question. In the past, and I mean the real past, did we err perhaps in uh, painting our uh, founding fathers, our other uh, heroes, as, uh, as uh, you know, without fault, without uh, stain, without, uh, you know, and, and now we've swung to – and by now I mean the last 50 years. It's, uh, it's not warts and all. It's warts that's all.
2: Yes. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, sure. I think I think you could say that. I mean, I think there's a different sensibility now than there was in, let's say, the the 19th century when people were reading George Bancroft. Or, um, although even by the 20s, you have Charles Beard, right. uh, Charles and Mary Beard, revisionism. The, yeah. 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 The, the major American history textbook. So, uh, I, I I think the the least feet of clay understanding of the founders and framers has been around for a while. Um, it it just hasn't been the, the dominant and uh, uh, prevailing version of things. And, you know, the dirty little secret is that if you teach American history as an unending saga of, of crime and despoilation and human degradation, that it really frees the student from learning the details. You know, all you have sure. to know is it, it, about slavery is that it's the original sin. Yeah,
0: you just know. say, "Oh, yeah, that's right." Yeah. No, and it really it right.
2: really saves you from having to actually give any serious study to the subject.
0: Well, um, I want to let you get back to those uh, to those teachers, and um, I hope they well, will take I thank the book. You for taking, and I hope they will take it to their students because that's the mission, and congratulations. I look forward to reading this wonderful book. Well,
2: thank you, and I hope when you have a chance to read it, you'll, you'll let me know what I got wrong, you know, oh, yeah. privately. <laughs> I, 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 I've read a lot
0: of your stuff, haven't found anything yet. Thank you, Bill McClay.
2: Thank you, Bill Bennett. I right.
0: appreciate it. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.